everybody. Welcome to Decoded, a show about conversations that is relevant for the next generation of developers. My name is Sydney Lai, and this show is brought to you by OutSystems. OutSystems is a dev tool. It is a platform for building mission-critical software. You have banks using this. You have aerospace companies, and it's really building the enterprise-level technical solution. I think with that being said, on the technical front, if you have two weeks and you want to learn something new, absolutely for free, join OutSystems Bootcamp. It is going to be spectacular because you as a developer get to learn how to use a whole new skill set and platform so that you can build faster. And this is reactive web, mobile dev, all of that, right? Uh, Feel free to sign up, check it out, learn more. And speaking of learning more today, what we're going to learn is understanding how to navigate a tech industry that may be skewed for hiring a certain type of developer. So what we're talking about is closing the gender gap. As we know, it's a male-dominated industry, especially on the tech and programming side. We'll explore with how this is being navigated and how you can negotiate that salary, negotiate and understanding how to how to find yourself in this industry. All right, let's go check it out. So today we're going to be talking to Joey Rosenberg, and she is the chief leadership officer at Women Who Code. What an astounding person, because I've seen her background going from working from startups to Fortune 500s, Fortune 50, really. And what I'm most impressed is her active background in supporting the Girl Scouts of America. So really excited to have you on today. Joey, thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So as you know, I have definitely heard of Women Who Code. I don't remember my first memory of Women Who Code, but I have seen at least, correct me if I'm wrong, from 2015, 2016, I've seen even in the past four or five years, a transformation of how you're no longer just serving the community of women developers, but you really impact a lot of lives. And how did you get to this place and introduce us to how you got involved in Women Who Code? Yeah, well, Women Who Code has been this amazing journey. It started in 2011 when some software engineers were kind of looking around and saying, there must be more people out there like me and formed officially, formally in 2013. So it's been around as an organization for about seven years, but it's been around as a movement for longer than that. And I was sort of watching this movement emerge from my home in Atlanta. So it sort of was born in San Francisco and I was watching this emerge and I was just seeing this power of community that was really growing and obvious and there was such a need for it that it immediately spoke to me. I got involved early on because the founding CEO, Elena Percival, is someone who I knew through business school and through my network and she started chatting with me because of my background in giving back and through Girl Scouts and started saying, well, you've got this business mindset and this volunteer mindset. How do we bring that together to support this movement? And it was just an incredible journey. I agree with you today. The number of lives that are impacted are so many and so diverse across the world. Today, we've grown to be the largest and most active movement dedicated to inspiring women to excel in tech. We're up to about 230,000 members. And the last time I checked, we had members in 125 countries. And so that kind of reach and being part of that kind of movement is just something that is incredibly powerful. 
And it's an honor to wake up every day and be part of it. It's really amazing. Yeah, I already feel inspired and you just began. So <laughs> yeah, then how did you how did you transition from really helping with the Girl Scouts to Women Who Code? I mean, I think this seems like a very, very clear transition. And I think kind of a dovetail question is then how did you also wound up in tech, right? So kind of a two-prong approach, yeah. What's funny, because when you look back, it seems like I have a really clear path, but actually my career has been this 30-year journey that took all kind of unexpected turns. Early in my career, I was pretty lost, like I think most people are, and I was selected to represent the U.S. in this global leadership seminar for women in India. Now, I had never been on an airplane before this, just to give you the difference in context. I went anyway because a mentor pushed me to go. And to be honest, that moment really opened my eyes to the world and to the notion of possibility and the ability to make your dreams come true if you just focus and put your mind to it. And so I came back from that experience and really got serious about what I could make out of a global career. And that took me into studying international affairs with a focus on economics, business, and policy. And of course, that opened all kinds of new views to the world. In my career, I always found myself being tech adjacent. I worked in accounting when Check 21 legislation passed and made it possible for business to really operate in the financial space digitally at scale. So I helped to manage that whole digital transformation for the company that I worked at at the time. I worked managing UPS's global marketing product portfolio and found myself in a creative space, but having to figure out what in the world to do to navigate data. And I got really friendly with SQL and I was using SQL almost every day in my job. And I became the person that everyone came to, to say, how do you get the data warehouse to tell me this thing? So I had to figure it out, right? I've always been in these tech adjacent spaces. And the one thing that Women Who Code did was to give me access to the industry in a new way. Before Women Who Code, I had never been to San Francisco or Silicon Valley. And to be honest, tech looks really different. As soon as you leave the Bay Area, it's very different. But I just didn't have this like access or view or even the words to describe what I was doing. And as I started getting more and more involved, tech has always been the place that I was sitting, but I didn't really realize it. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's in your fridge. <laughs> exactly. It really yeah. is. I even remember back being a kid when the Commodore 64 came into the world. And I remember sitting there like programming for hours to get a balloon to fly across the screen. Like I've always been fascinated by tech. So I think it was just about needing a pathway to access the industry and women who code has been that for me. And so it's a huge responsibility and honor to be able to bring that to other women too. Absolutely. I mean, speaking of your childhood, do you have, I mean, maybe it's the Commodore, maybe it's something else. It could be, gosh, even like an electric tea kettle. I don't know what it is, but do you have a memory when you were a young girl of like, hey, this this stood out to me or I, I remember this thing specifically for some reason? Well, you know, it's funny because I grew up in a rural community and honestly, I didn't have any images of what it meant to be an engineer, be a software developer, or build things. I didn't really get that until much later. I think there were just all of these moments. My Atari stands out to me. Um, like yeah. I mentioned the Commodore 64. Like I yeah, had all you, of these moments. Yeah, you were a gamer before. It was cool, right? <laughs> exactly. I got these like glimpses of things, but I didn't have a real model for tech until I was much older. But in my teens, this is where the seed for me for Girl Scouts was planted. I was put into these leadership programs and it was 
outside of the rural space, but also we were challenged to think about the world we wanted and figure out how to make it. And so I found myself embedded in all these spaces of figuring things out. And I think that for me is what carried over into tech. So I think it's something that you take with you when you're a person that is a maker and a solver and a doer. I think tech can really speak to you. Yeah. So then this really brings me to the question of how did we get here, right? How did we get here to an issue of young women accessing, is it young women accessing computers at a young age? Is it the role model aspect? You know, why, why is this a topic? And I mean, this is coming genuinely from me, who's also a woman, like, how did we get here? Why is this a topic? And I hear it a lot in the workforce. And like I said, even as a woman, I don't know how we got here. And how is this a problem? And can you post it? You know? People ask me this a lot, right? What's the problem? How do we get here? What's the state of tech? I think to answer that question, we have to really think about how tech impacts our lives. I think right now tech is shaping our world. It's shaping the way we communicate, the way we learn, who we connect to, and arguably it's shaping what we believe to be true based on the messages that we receive. And I think what the world is seeing now and starting to understand is that when the people whose lives and worlds are being shaped by tech aren't part of the process of building those products, there can be intended or unintended harm created. And so I think we're kind of waking up to this notion, or the industry is waking up to this notion of, we need to create space for more people, for more diverse people, so that these products can genuinely and authentically create the kind of world that people want to live in and can live in and need. The thing that I see most often and I hear most often is that women can find a way into tech if they want to. There are all kinds of things being done, especially at the young level, to help girls be more motivated and excited and interested in tech. But I think once you get into tech, what I hear from women all the time is that they don't see themselves represented in top leadership. They don't see a pathway for themselves. They don't feel supported. And so they leave. And then that creates this cycle of not having a pathway in this industry. And that's what Women Who Code is trying to solve. We're really trying to support that mid-career engineer to see that she can rise to the top tier of leadership, whether that's a technical leader and staying very technical or going into the people leadership space. She can do that. And if she can do that, then she can inspire the next generation of leaders to step up. So I, I think it's about breaking that cycle and about recognizing that we need diverse people, diverse women in that tech space to build the products that are shaping our world. Yeah. So it sounds like what you're saying is, if I can kind of repeat this in my head, it really sounds like what you're saying is how they, it could be women, men, et cetera, like however you're building for the next generation, the next generation of consumers, the next generation of people on this planet, if it's built by the same background again and again, you're not going to have diverse products, diverse ways of solving issues. Is is that what we're really coming at? Or Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people are being left out, right? And if tech is the way that we're accessing our world right now and we're being left out of that, then you have groups of people that are being left out. And that can create a continued gaps in access and equality and ability to really be able to do the things that people want to do in the world today. And I think it's a critical problem that we have to solve. And we have to solve it now, right? We can't solve this problem 10 years from now. This is a problem that needs to be solved now. And do you think it's usually coming from a place of a leadership issue, maybe representation at a workplace? Do you think it's the hiring process? Do you think it's the income? Is it, There's so many 
specific points. And I'm trying to come at this with a magnifying glass. And I and I want to say, which one is it, right? Yeah. I think it happens at a lot of different levels. So I think that the entry point, the hiring process, I think there's a ton of bias that's built into hiring that we don't even realize. When I talk to women engineers around the world, they'll often tell me that they don't think they're qualified for jobs. But when I talk to the recruiter trying to hire the person, they're begging for these people to apply. And so there's this big disconnect. I think in the hiring process, there's bias in the way that job applications are written. There's bias in the way that people are recruited and selected. And if people don't believe that they have a genuine shot at getting a job, they'll stop applying. And so that's something that I think at the recruiting point we can improve. And then I think also the internal culture. We talk to companies all the time that say, hey, we have an engineering team of 99 men. I want to make sure my hundredth hire isn't another man. And I always wonder, what were you thinking when you hired your second or third or fourth engineer? (laughs) You know, how did you get to this space? There's probably something else going on there, not just bringing a person in, but actually like redoing what does the house look like? You know, how do we make sure it feels inviting once they get there? Yeah. You're like, I don't know why this cake looks this way. It's like, well, why did you put soy sauce on there? (laughs) Right. Well, yeah. Again and again and again. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so then if what we're looking at is that there is this ricochet effect or maybe domino is the right word, right? This domino effect of this happens and then this happens. Then I think on the other end, it's what does work well? Is there a project? Is there a team? Is there a startup that you're like, whoa, they're really rocking it and they're doing this right, right? Like, where can I turn for inspiration? What's a team that you're saying like, hey, they're on to something and it's actually working? Yeah, well, I think it's teams that are intentional. I think that's the whole thing. You can't just wish inclusion to happen. It's not inclusion by desire, it's inclusion by design. So I think when you walk into a workplace and you can visibly see that the workplace has thought about things. Everything from, do you have an accessible entryway when you walk through the front door to when you walk into the engineering team, do you see people who look different from each other? I mean, that's the first state. And then the second state is how are you allocating projects and promotions? Oftentimes women are given projects that are deemed that they might fail. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of research out there that shows this, right? Marissa it's, Meyer? Yeah, so exactly. <laughs> yes. So I was like, oh, convenient. <laughs> the yeah. next time, if you're allocating projects, the next time you have this awesome project, it's going to be the one, think about who you give it to. It should be someone who's talent for, talented first, right? You, The person has to have the skills. But don't dismiss people that haven't had the chance yet because probably sitting on your team are people who have the skills who haven't had that chance. They've often been given projects that fail or they haven't been given a pathway to promotion. So I think these are ways you can do it. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I've definitely heard the, there's some study that it's like, hey, if something's going to hit the fan or it's really getting hard here, who's going to come mop things up? It's your mom, right? So who are going to put in power is like, hey, I'm sorry, really messed up on this. Can you <laughs> can you come and fix this? But I think on the other end of the spectrum, what, what really just spooks me is I've also seen teams just be jerks and they'll hire, they'll hire because they think they can negotiate a smaller salary. They try to hide behind the blanket of women first, but they think that like, oh, if we do this, then we can negotiate lower salaries. I can be more dominant as a manager, et cetera, and so forth. So that really spooks me as well. 
Yeah, definitely. And there's a big push to be transparent about salaries now on job boards. The Women Who Code job board actually encourages and creates space for companies to put the salary range right up front so that no matter who's applying, who ends up getting the job, you already know the range going in. And you have at minimum a anchor so you know what to expect. I think more transparency and salary in the hiring process is really important. And having people on your team that are responsible for things like pay audits and making sure that they're looking across the team, that everyone's fitting in the same band if they're doing the same work. All of those things are really important. These are definitely one of the hurdles. Salary is a huge one when it comes to gender pay balance, right? What are other hurdles that typically female developers have to overcome that their male counterparts don't overcome? What should we be aware of? What should we be actively understanding? Yeah, well... Imposter syndrome is a thing. That's a real thing. And all engineers experience it. And if they say they don't, then they are not being honest with you. That includes men. I think that engineering and tech is a learning industry. No one is ever going to know all the things. So I think looking out for how we support people through that is really important. And being aware that being a woman, being a black woman, a queer woman, like when you start to add these other layers, it creates more and more barriers to being seen as successful and capable and feeling successful and capable. I think we have to be intentional about bringing those down. We have to help people get through imposter syndrome. We have to help make sure that our team isn't creating a vibe that is adding to that, that we're creating space to help lift people up. And the way that I often see engineers doing that is by having wins and celebrating those wins, even small wins, right? The thing that I see that happens a lot with women is that they'll, women love to lift each other up. And so just celebrating small wins is awesome. And then someone will come in and say, oh, you thought that was hard. That's terrible. (laughs) Let's celebrate those wins together. Whether it's small or big, let's do that. Another barrier that you have to recognize is that when people walk into the workplace, they're bringing their whole self there, whether or not they show that to you. And women often carry all of these other things in the rest of their life. Right now, kids are at home. Parents have to be teachers. A lot of that is falling onto women, especially if you're in a household where maybe there's not another parent or the parenting isn't split 50-50, although that would be amazing. And that's definitely where we want to be. That's not the reality for a lot of families. So there are just all of these other things that fall on women and recognizing that and supporting people through that. I think it's really important. Yeah. Do you know, as you talk a little bit about even just how the shift in the home life, the work life, how that's kind of melding into one, I think in the past, when we think about how the workplace is done, you start to, when I say past, gosh, I just mean, could be Facebook or Lyft rolling out like, hey, you can now freeze your eggs or hey, you can get IV treatments or there is a place where you can breastfeed your kids, change a diaper, whatever it is. Is it the workplace initiatives that's important? Is it, is it having the leadership? I mean, I think it really comes back down to how do you create an environment that makes sense and retains talent, right? Yes. Well, I think you have to have diverse representation at your top tiers of leadership because then you actually have people in the room thinking about that, right? Like like you mentioned fertility treatments. I went through fertility treatments to have my daughter. So I'm already thinking about that as my normal part of life, right? right and right, if you have absolutely. a room full of people that have never had that experience, it's not going to walk into the room naturally. So I think it's about having representation at top tiers of leadership. And also one of our board members said to me about a year or so ago, 
what does this team right now need? And do you know what this team needs? Because you can have the best benefits package in the world, but if none of those offerings are relevant to your current team, actually none of them matter. So I think getting to know your team and asking them, creating an open door to say what you need starts to mean you have meaningful benefits. We had an employee recently that asked for an employee assistance program, an EAP. And I thought it was really thoughtful. She said, you know what? We're all dealing with all of these things that 2020 has brought us. And it'd be great to have some support. And so we looked into it. Honestly, it wasn't that expensive. And so we put in place an EAP that serves our anyone affiliated with our organization, including our contractors and our employees and their families. And so listening to your employees, I think, starts to give you a, a sense of what the team needs. And there's a good chance that your next hire will have those same needs. And if they don't, give them a space to voice it. So they come into this space where you already have these meaningful benefits in place and meaningful team support structures in place, and then they add to it and be open to adding to it. Yeah. And I think for a good time, when we talk about bringing talent, especially female talent into the world of tech, into the world of development, what you also see is maybe following into the footsteps of great leaders. So representation is one. It could be the benefits that you just listed out. But I'm also thinking this has been a conversation that's been on for five years, 10 years, so on. What do you think is coming next? Like, what is something that is, as women in tech, as women who participate in this, what is something that is in the forefront that we're pro- I'm probably not even thinking about, right? Yeah, well, I think companies have to start getting honest about what they expect and not being afraid to walk away from people and systems that aren't meeting those expectations. And that's tough to do, but if you have people in your team who are perpetuating old stereotypes and they're continuously bringing forward that toxic culture, I think we have to have systems in place to walk away just based on that notion. And we have to be careful, right? Because if it's that people are raising up issues, you have to be open to listening to them. But if they're causing the issues, you have to be willing to walk away from them. And sometimes that can feel confusing about which it is. And so I think we have to have these systems in place that help us to identify what are the real issues and then what is it that's creating this toxic culture. I think too, 2020 has brought forced disruption, period. (laughs) And so- for sure. One of the things that happens often is that futurists are looking forward like five or 10 years and saying, okay, what's that world going to look like? Nobody predicted this. I mean, maybe somebody did or somebody will say they did. Nobody could have predicted all of the things that we've around the world have experienced this year. And so now we need to be saying, okay, what do we need now? And when you look at that, you're looking at things like healthcare and the ability to work from home. People are separated and disconnected. So you need things that offset that. You need things that become connectors. You need things that support people to work remotely and have effective remote team working relationships. You need a space for people to be able to get access to the things they need, like healthcare and services that they might be nervous or disconnected from. So you need to start filling those gaps and having the conversations of what do we need now? I also think the conversation that our country is having around racial injustice is critical to be a part of. And I think that's something that we should all be stepping into if you're not already there and finding ways to elevate and amplify voices that 
need to be amplified that have long been asking to be amplified. I think that's going to be a trend for 2021. As we work through things, it's going to be about creating space for people and it has to be intentional. And, you know, I'm curious, do you work with primarily professional women or are they also younger? I know there's other organizations that work with really young, young women. And part of part of this journey of transitioning from a young woman to an adult, you start to experience the world in different ways. And the way also you imagine, right? The way you imagine and create for the world is different. One kind of relevant tangent is I think I heard that the breast pump, the technology for the breast pump was created by a man. And I was like, how did they even get there? But <laughs> it's, it's, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on where do you think, how are people changing in terms of how they're developing, especially women, when it comes to whatever projects they're interested in, right? Like, where do you see them gravitating towards maybe just folks in your community? And then, you know, of course, I'd love to learn about just like your realization into your own womanhood. Like you're one day you're a kid and you're like, oh, wait, I am a person <laughs> that now I'm a, I'm a woman. Yeah. So. Yeah. So to answer your question about what Women Who Code does, we focus on mid-career women, but because I have this background in Girl Scouts, I often focus on 11 to 17-year-olds in that role. And so I have a lot of experience building leadership programs for teenagers on top of the work I do for Women Who Code. We focus on that mid-career woman because there was a gap when we started and arguably still a gap supporting women who are already in tech. There's a lot of work being done to get women into tech and get girls in tech. So we're trying to fill a different spot on the talent pipeline. When I think about the products, uh, as somebody who has used a breast pump, I believe that it was invented by a man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was not designed for optimal user experience. I, I was like, that, that guy's a hustler. He's like, oh, you yeah. know, we're, we're going to make this thing and I'm going to sell it. I was like, what a G, you know? But yes. I was like, all right, that's made by a guy, I, I guess. Sure. I mean, kudos for figuring it out, right? But because we need them. But I think what are women interested in working on? So the trend that I see as I kind of go around the world and meet with our leaders and members from different places is that women want to solve some of our most pressing challenges. So I think what I see, we did this leadership workshop, for example, in Mexico, where we had leaders from all around Mexico, and we just gave them space to say, you know what? What would you solve if you could solve it? And a lot of people, a little context, the day was on a climate strike day. So there was a little bit of like that in the air. So we did a climate strike and said, what do you want to solve? And the things that they immediately came up with just from their own lived experience were things like water quality and air quality and things that they saw in their communities where transparency and access to information just wasn't there. And so I continuously hear this notion of we want to create access to information. We want to create access to truth, to data. We want to help shape these stories in a different way. And it's always around these big pressing problems. I think our community rallies around solving some of those challenges. I mentioned the conversation around racial injustice in the U.S. We've had our leaders stand up and speak out against gender-based violence. I think they're looking to create products that either solve these problems or create a platform to lift up voices so that they can create transparency around these problems. You're absolutely right. I mean, I think even just taking a very 
<laughs> maybe just even a very immature perspective of this. One could think like, oh, you know, women like to build shopping apps or dating apps. Yeah. But you are talking like on a completely different world. You're like, yeah, that's yeah. that's cute and all, but like I'm talking about this right now. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, right? People also like building those other kinds of apps. I think engineers <laughs> like building things. So right. I, Absolutely. I've heard so many engineers say, yeah, anything that you do more than two times, you should build a solution for. <laughs> you know, like oh, yeah. engineers like addiction. building things. Right. So yeah. I think that women in general like to solve these big community complex world problems. And if they get to contribute to it, I think it really lights them up. Like my wife is an engineer and she's also has congenital heart disease. I think if she could spend her life creating products that make the medical industry better, she definitely would because she's lived through it, right? Like this is her, her reality. So I see women as problem solvers. I also really appreciate you bring up the I guess, I don't know, the the activity or the event or the initiative in Mexico, because I remember a few years ago, I was a guest facilitator for a Latinx in in tech event. It was a hackathon for that specific community. And one of the, literally the aha moment in my mind, it wasn't until 2016, I was like, oh my God, this is why diversity matters, was one, there were more female presenters and pitches and founders than I've seen in other hackathons that were more homogenous, as an example. And they also address issues that were so specific to their community that I was never aware of. And that was the aha moment of like, I get it now. I see it. And it was that one, that one event. Yeah, startup weekend. But anyways. Yeah. It's like you see your power, right? I mean, you know, as an engineer, you can build these things and automate things. And I think I felt that when I was in corporate America, not as an engineer, but I saw myself using my skills to kind of further these big companies. And then I realized actually my power is that I can make this world better. And then I stepped out of the corporate space. And I think there's value in that corporate space if companies can be intentional and help create that platform for change. Yeah. And this also reminds me, I was tangenting earlier as I was, you know, just word vomiting from my brain. But (laughs) as you talk about this change, it's, it also brings me back to how did you, did you have a moment where you're like, oh, I'm not just a person, I'm a woman, like the world sees me as a woman, you know? And so it's like, does that affect your career? How did it come to that? And is it, is it like, oh, I have a crush on this person? Is it (laughs) I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but I'm curious about that. Yeah, Yeah, you were asking about that, right? Especially the transition between supporting girls and then yeah, because you you spent your whole yeah, you spent your career helping Girl Scouts, you know, women who are adults, all the whole spectrum of that developmental phase, right? And coming to that actualization, both in self and also in the workforce. Yeah. So I want to say, I think I've spent my life. My personal philosophy is that you shouldn't make assumptions about people. And I think I have come to this because when you look at me, there's probably many things that you wouldn't guess about me just from looking at me, but I know what those truths are. Right. And I think that's true for every person. Like you can't see everything about a person until you get to know them. And so I spent my life kind of living with this philosophy of get to know the person, understand the person, understand where they're coming from. Don't assume where they're coming from. And what I realized is actually the world is making assumptions about you all the time. This has been coming up a lot recently. I think growing up as a queer person, I've faced this a lot because especially once I started wearing an engagement ring, people just assumed I had a fiance and was going to have a husband. I had a fiance. I was going to have a wife. I think probably when I got engaged, that's when I started realizing that people 
had assumptions about me, right? And then as I've gone on in my career, I've definitely find myself sitting at the table where people are having conversations around me and they just assume that I don't fit into them. So like as an example, my second language is Spanish. I've been sitting at a table where people were speaking in Spanish and just assumed that I couldn't be part of that conversation before, <laughs> you know, like, and so people, I just started realizing in all these moments that people look at you and they make assumptions about you. And I think that's happening all the time. And so in tech, often how that comes out as a woman, you walk into a conference and people are like, Oh, you must work in marketing. Yep. Oh, a hundred percent. Can you, can you show me where this room is? Because you must work for the venue, right? Like this happens all the time. Yeah. I yep. think the world is, is trying to figure out who you are and they make those assumptions in like 10 seconds flat. And so I don't know if that answers your question directly does, enough. It does. But- it was crazy. I loved it. I mean, sometimes some people realize it could be their identity. I'm a woman, et cetera. It's different ages in life. And you're like, you know, this didn't really come up to me until this moment of, let's say, the engagement ring. Or you also see this translating into tech, right? Like, what? I mean, gosh, okay, I'm not gonna speak for everybody, but I think a lot of people do have that moment where they're wrongly assumed because they're a woman, they think you're the secretary or whatever it is. But at the other end, it's also like maybe like, do people, gosh, do people think like, oh, she's probably not a very good programmer because she's a, like, that's just, yes. also that just seems crazy. I don't know who thinks that, but I'm, I'm sure it happens. It's weird. Yeah. All the time. People make these assumptions. And it's funny because they make these assumptions even when they definitely should not. Like if you're sitting there on a team at a hackathon, there's a reason you're there. Like you didn't just accidentally go out to buy a pair of shoes and you accidentally stumbled into the hackathon. You know, you're there for a reason. Well, in San Francisco, it, it actually could happen. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And San Francisco, you were like, what's this meetup? I'll just, yeah, I'll just I'll walk just in. in. Do, they, do you have any pizza? Oh, it's a hackathon. I brought my computer anyways. Cause yeah, might as well. yeah. <laughs> that's true. But yeah, like you don't generally just show up in these spaces, but like recently we were talking, so women who code produces about 2000 events a year. And I was recently having a conversation with a person who knows this about women who code. And he was telling me how to produce an event. And I was like, oh, awesome. Come to one of our events, check out what we're doing, see how we're doing it. And if you have extra that you ideas, feel free to like send me feedback, add on top. But we can definitely advance past the basics because we do this all the time. It's like this assumption that you're a beginner also right. happens a lot yeah, for women in tech. Yeah. They think you're always a beginner. I always want to point back to, you realize that women were the first programmers, <laughs> the first coders, the first, do you, have you heard of Ada Lovelace? I mean, you know, women have always been in tech. And in fact, around, I think it was something around the 80s, there was a, about parity in terms of gender in engineering. And that has dwindled because the culture was so toxic. It's not that women just decided to get into tech. Women have been here all along and women are also the future of tech and part of that future story of tech. And we can't forget that. We're not just beginners. And I think that people often assume that that's where women sit. Yeah. I mean, you brought up the 80s. What I actually heard was that in a lot of the commercials, so when marketing became more mainstream or at least personal computing became more mainstream, it was just simply advertise as a man or a boy's toy. Then you have like the Toys R Us brochure and maybe she's like, hey, I'm just going to vacuum, but these are little little color balls in the vacuum or something like that. So I think one of the shifts, I'm sure there's many shifts, but one of them was just purely advertisement. Like, 
hey, maybe you would like this item because you're a dude. Sometimes just to mess with marketers, I'll put my gender as male because <laughs> I don't want to wear a pink shirt. Maybe I just want a black shirt sometimes. So sometimes to mess with them, I'll mess with the preference filters or whatnot. Yeah. And you're talking about the 80s, right? That was 40 years ago. Right. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> it's still happening today. So just to bring that forward. Right. So my daughter's 15 months old and the number of conversations I've had to have with people when I tell them that her nursery was going to be gray and teal and purple, the immediate question is not pink. And I'm looking at them going, is that the requirement for a girl? It has to be pink. No. Yellow is a nice color. Yellow, yeah, yellow is fantastic. Blue, <laughs> pink. Pink is also a good color, right, but not right. the only color. But I, I think you've asked a little bit about what about girls in tech? Like, what are we doing or should we be doing? I think it is still true today that we foster an interest in tech and engineering in boys differently than we foster in girls. So just as an example, my niece is a fantastic artist, right? She has, from the time she could walk, she was holding a crayon and she's always just been, had this amazing eye for art. Well, no one around her was saying, hey, you could be a designer. But if, <laughs> if her brother was an artist, they'd immediately be yeah. pushing... That's exactly right. They want oh. him to be an architect. Yeah. That is true. And yeah. so we've had these started having these conversations about, well, what does it mean to have this idea, this ability around art and an artistic notion? You could be a designer, you could be an architect, you could be any of these things, no matter if you are a boy or a girl or are undecided or somewhere else on the spectrum, like it's not just reserved for boys. And how do we intentionally facilitate this conversation? My daughter already loves Legos and taking things apart. So we're like, yeah, she could be an engineer. Exactly. But society isn't doing this naturally. Right. I think something that's a bit similar, I don't have kids, but something that is a bit similar is I saw a kid. I've seen children. I know they exist. Out in the world somewhere. <laughs> yes, I've, I've heard of this fable. And when I was at Costco, there was this little girl and she ran up to the book section and was begging her mom to get her this book on how to build in Minecraft. Yeah. And I was like trying not to be creepy. I was like hiding behind the rack of clothes or the case of food and like trying to hold back my tears because I was like, oh my God, this little child wants to build on Minecraft. And this is where the appetite for creativity and building, because you could build, you know, in Minecraft with Python, et cetera. Totally. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is, this is the moment. And I, you know. <laughs> and um, what happened? The, the she got the book. Left. She got yeah, it. Yeah, okay. she got the book. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. She's going to be the next <laughs> dev and it's going to be sick. And yeah. That's fantastic. Absolutely. And we have to start doing that, right? And even being willing to go down the aisles, because still today in the stores, there are aisles that are like the girl aisles and they've got all of the pink stuff and dolls. And then there are the boy aisles that have all the blocks. And, and this is true for a lot of places. And honestly, in becoming a parent, I have been shocked at how much gender bias still exists, especially for young children. And if you don't get it right there, it's going <laughs> to just Oops. keep going up and up yeah. and up. And the funnel of women that will potentially be in this field gets smaller and smaller and smaller every time you go up in age. So I think it's something we have to start, start at the youngest ages, but support all the way through and continue to support women who are in industry. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I think oftentimes when we address where we talk about women in tech, sometimes we do forget where does it start? Where did it come from? And that's kind of where we really began was like, how was this an issue? And I think moving forward, 
some of your closing thoughts is what are you excited about? And then what is something you're like, oh man, I am not looking forward to that kind of in this world, right? Yeah. I think I'm excited about potential. I just think there's been so much change this year that we are all forced to look at our world differently. And when that happens on scale, you have this opportunity to really think about different solutions because you're thinking about the problem differently. And I think that if it's happening on scale and I think the industry is paying attention, we can see some incredible outcomes. I think we will see a new face of leadership rising and that excites me. That's why I get up and go to work every day. Like that's the world I want to, I want to see, I want to be in, I want to be a consumer of the products created by that world. That excites me. What am I not excited about? I think I'm not excited about performative allyship and Mm. tokenism. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I think people want to do better. And if they're doing it for the right reasons, it's okay to be clumsy, right? It's okay to to make mistakes. Like Like, that's totally fine. You can move forward and (laughs) make mistakes as long as you fix them and learn from them. You're like, that's a little tone deaf, but we'll keep working on it. Yeah. 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 But if you're, that's if your intentions are right. I think that can be okay. I think the world is looking at these problems and wanting to get into the conversation. And for some people, it's the very first time they've even thought about it. And so the thing I'm not looking forward to is sort of that, yeah, I, I definitely want to hire our first woman on the team. Help me do that. Right. And then once I hire her, I'm going to hire a hundred more men. You right, know, like right. like I think it's that that sort of ingenuine space that definitely does not light me up. But I think that this notion of forced disruption has created an incredible opportunity, and I do think we're going to see that new wave of leadership rising. That is going to be really exciting. Well, then I guess with that being said, you know what. What's the best way we can support you? What's the best way we can reach out to you? And yeah, how can we support this? Yeah, so I think that making this movement successful, making our industry different is everybody's responsibility. Women Who Code has events almost every day being facilitated from somewhere around the world. And I think being part of this movement is a great first step. There are opportunities to give technical talks and share your knowledge so that you can lift the next person up. And there's space to join this network and be part of the community. The power of community is so important. It's an incredible space to be in. And I would love to see even more people being part of this. Let's lift each other up, share our knowledge and and get involved. Right. Well, Joey Rosenberg, thank you so much for joining us today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. This has been really great. Boy, what a conversation with closing the gender gap. I mean, if you found this information valuable or if you have a friend who's looking to explore their career in tech or as a developer, please go ahead and share this episode with them. If you have any other questions or if you want to discuss this conversation even more, feel free to find me on Twitter and we can discuss if you know someone who would be a great person that I should probably chat with. Hit me up. How about a friend, right? Let them know. Come talk to Sydney. We'll, we'll get this ball rolling. But yeah, I really hope you are able to join us back for the next episode. Like I said, we're this season, we're really just going to explore the conversation of career development in, in the tech industry, especially from the lens of a developer. All right, everybody. Thanks again. Talk to you later.